Pastor Jason. I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast from United Church. We pray that this blesses and encourages you in your walk with God. If you'd like to find more information about our church, including our address, upcoming events, or find a place to give, feel free to visit our website at fergusunited.org. God bless and enjoy the message. All right. Acts chapter 2 and verse 5. And that scripture tells us, And there were dwelling at Jerusalem devout men out of every nation under heaven. So that is just a, a verse that we've pulled out to lead us into our discussion today. We've been on a, a theme, a series, a journey, whatever we want to call it. And we've been talking about and evaluating the elements that were in place that prepared the stage for the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. For, for God to pour out a spirit that first time. And then also we find these same elements in other revivals throughout Scripture as well as other revivals throughout history. Um, we've defined revival more than just new birth, but, but really uh, a changing of hearts, people's minds and their focus coming back to God. We want to see revival in our communities. We want to see a return to prayer and uh, obedience to the word. We want to see people born again and attending church. But it's easy to get excited about something, kind of back to what I was just talking about with our, our Wednesday deals, Ideas are exciting, but inspiration, it's like trying to carry water in a bucket full of holes. Inspiration has a way of just leaking out, and if we don't ever break it down and, and make it practical, nothing really changes. And we go through this cycle of maybe coming into a good service or going to a conference and becoming inspired, and then nothing changes. And then we get into another atmosphere that's inspiring, and that's wonderful, and we feel great, and then... Nothing changes. And so we've talked about two of these already. Um, anybody help me out with the two we've talked about? Two weeks ago was the first one. I threw the extension cord across the sanctuary. What's that? Authority. Authority. And in particular, obedience. So really the words are synonymous. Yeah, whatever I was trying to say. Synonymous. Because the reason I used those two terms in that session was, as Christian culture, we have no problem talking about obedience. In fact, we talk very fondly about obedience and, and how important it is. And yet, we can't have obedience without some form of authority. One can't exist without the other, and yet when we bring up the word authority, sometimes our fleshly, natural response is to be a little bit resistant. Like, hold on a minute, nobody's going to tell me what to do. No, I'm, I'm grown, I'm this, I'm that. And so we have to understand that we can't have one without the other. Obedience is the first thing that we recognize in Acts chapter 2, because the multitude seen Jesus ascend into heaven. There's a large number of people standing there gazing up when the angel showed up and said, don't keep gazing into heaven, go to Jerusalem and wait like he said to. 
but only 120 obeyed. So the multitude had the benefit of the experience, but only the obedience was present for the outpouring. So obedience was vitally important. Last week we talked about structure, which, again, it just feels very unspiritual, structure. And yet we find in the middle of this, what we always talk about as a giant prayer meeting in the upper room, that there was more than prayer that went on. Because it says that they were all there, they're all praying, and then in the middle of that environment, the apostle stands up and says, hey, wait a second, Judas was an apostle, he was a disciple, and he's not with us anymore. Paraphrase Brooks' translation here, we need to hold a quick business meeting and elect someone to replace him. So there's, there's structure that's being reformed. We get all the way to Acts chapter 6 and we find that the structure that was put in place in Acts chapter 2 is no longer sufficient because there's been revival and there's been growth. And because structure hasn't grown with the church, there becomes problems and issues and there's bickering and fighting. And the answer to that wasn't more prayer. The answer to that was more structure. And so we find structure as an important element to outpouring and sustainable revival. Today I want to talk about uh, the third element that we identified a few months ago, and that is hunger. Hunger. Um, the reason I read that scripture to start us out is the timing of Jesus' instructions for his disciples to wait in Jerusalem, it wasn't random. It was very specific as to when they were supposed to gather. Um, they were gathered together during what we might refer to now as the Feast of Pentecost. If you go all the way back to the book of Exodus, when these feasts are instructed to take place, this would be the Feast of First Fruits. So this was a time of the year, 50 days after the Passover, when every Jewish person would endeavor to come together in Jerusalem and offer sacrifices and offerings as a sign of gratitude. They would take of the first fruits that they had and they would bring those before the Lord and it was a time of celebration and festivity. And so all these people are there. Um, God establishes this way back, like I said, in Exodus. And during this time, uh, people were happy. People were festive. The streets would have been filled with people from all around. That's an exciting time. Everybody comes together. Not like when you know Mary and Joseph had to go to be taxed. This was a, a, a willing thing they looked forward to. And they, they traveled and they were excited about it. So there was a buzz in the community. And while they're doing that, having a good time in the streets and all the festivities of the festival are taking place, we find this 120 people kind of squirreled away in the upper room praying and conducting business. There had to be at least some travel in and out of the upper room. Just, we just got to think for a minute a little bit. They were there for right around 7 to 10 days, right? They didn't have indoor plumbing. So they didn't walk into the doors on Monday and then stay there for 10 days. At some point, probably everyone in the room had to say, I'll be back in a minute. And so they're walking out, and, and I'm just trying to put myself in this situation. You're, you're there, and you're in a spiritual environment, and, and God's doing things, but, but really you're just waiting. And so there's a lot of questions, and man, what's really going on? And, 
and you know the festival's going on outside, and you know how important it was to the culture to be there, and, and you walk out into the streets to maybe find a, a spot for the restroom, and oh, there's your cousin. And man, they start talking, and hey, come with us, we're, we're going to see so-and-so, and we're on our way to the temple, you should come with us. And, and there's this pull to be a part of the festivities that are taking place out, and there was something, something that kept them there, and that was, that was hunger. Hunger. Their hunger to experience the promise of God was greater than any other desire they had. Hunger existed in this first outpouring. I want to compare two, two terms today. And really, the Lord has challenged me and asked some questions here of me over the last week in preparing for this. And I'm going to repurpose those questions onto you. The first one being, are we truly hungry for revival or is it just a craving? Let that sink in for me. Are we hungry for revival or is it just a craving? We're going to talk about those two terms. Cravings can be created by external circumstances. Josiah, what's your favorite snack? Important question. Don't get it wrong. Takis? Takis? So, I don't know if you're hungry or not right now, but if you could smell Takis, you think you would want some? If someone next to you was eating Takis, would that make you want some? Even if you weren't hungry, you would probably want some. Because cravings, they, they can be um, ignited from external sources you're just driving down the road with the windows down and then you you smell that taco place or you're you're watching a video on your phone and there's an ad about ice cream and you weren't hungry before there was no hunger with inside of you but there was a, a picture that you've seen or a conversation that you had with someone about the one time when you guys were together and and there's, there's cravings that can be created. Cravings um, are not motivated by survival, but rather experience. We crave things that we associate with fond experiences. That tastes good. Or I can crave, it, crave to go out and be involved in an activity. Man, that was, that was so much fun. Um, what did you say yesterday, Haley, about sledding? What term did you use? Yeah, I low-key want to go outside and go sledding. Meaning, like, I kind of want to, but, you know, there's a craving there. Like, I kind of, you know, I kind of like to go sledding. Yeah. Low-key. But it's just a craving. She did end up going sledding. Cravings move in and out of our lives with no real demand for satisfaction. You do not have to satisfy a craving for it to go away, you simply have to find your mind focused on something else. As long as I'm thinking about it, as long as it's in the front of my mind, I feel very desirous of this thing. But as soon as my mind is captivated by something else and my attention moves on, there's, there's no, nothing missing any longer. The craving just goes as quickly as it comes. This is because cravings are superficial desires that are felt by those who are regularly sustained by other things. 
I'm going to say that again because I know it's wordy. Cravings are superficial desires that are felt by those who are regularly sustained by other things. When I have a healthy diet, I'm not starving. I'm not malnourished. I I have food in my belly. Cravings are are not important to my survival. I don't crave something because if I don't get it, I'm going to die. I'm I'm well sustained by other things. I think too many times in the church, we're, we're content to crave revival. We come to church or another event, we hear about it, and suddenly we feel an intense desire to partake in revival. Man, I can't, that story that so-and-so shared, we, we hear about their experience and they're having revival, and, and wow, that makes me want to have revival. But before we leave the building, the craving that came on us is gone and we're caught up in desires for fellowship and fun or activity. Or on the way home, we get to thinking about the responsibilities of the week and we, we quickly turn our attention to that. And this, this immense desire that comes on us so quickly when we're in certain atmospheres or around certain things, it, it's created by external circumstances and so it, it fades quickly. A strong craving will last for a few days, but eventually the intensity is driven away by just the responsibilities of life. The pursuit of revival as a craving cannot truly grip us like we want it to because it has no bearing on our survival. We're all too often sustained by other things. We're full. You know you can't be full and hungry at the same time. You can be full and have cravings, but if my life is so full of other things, then I, I can't truly develop this, this hunger for revival. Now we're going to switch a moment. We're going to step away from cravings and we're going to talk about hunger. Because hunger, on the other hand, is a completely different animal. Hunger is the feeling we experience when there is true deficiency. Hunger says to us that something is missing. Unlike cravings, true hunger does not flee from our life when it is ignored. You see, hunger demands satisfaction. You know that craving that kind of comes in and then it, then it goes away? Hunger doesn't go away. Right. When, you're, when you're truly hungry, it, hunger first whispers softly in search of contentment. If hunger is ignored, it will cry out in search of sustainability. And given enough time, it will scream for survival. Hunger hunger is a different game. It's not superficial uh, desire. It's a, it's a fundamental necessity. I have to eat or I will die. Hunger demands satisfaction in order to, to go away. Hunger grows stronger with time. I mean, what's the longest you've ever gone without eating? couple out and, and you know it's funny you start feeling oh man i'm kind of hungry and i gotta work i gotta do this stuff and then a little while later man wow famished it's funny the words we use you know we haven't eaten in three hours <laughs> famished withering away yeah i'm starving all these why because hunger's like hey hello i'm, I'm not going anywhere um i need food i need substance i need something in me Interestingly enough, the desire to consume 
has the potential to consume our entire life. The desire to, to eat, it, it, can, it can completely consume our thoughts and our actions. Unsatisfied hunger will become the most important thing in your life. It will become... I want you to really think about it, because that sounds so ridiculous. Really? Food? The most Go without it for a little while. No, my family's the most important thing in my life. Skip like two meals. And that family that you love so much, all of a sudden you're, you're getting snappy and snippy. And Why? Because, well, oh, I'm just hangry. You're hangry. I'm hangry. Well, oh, but see, hunger, it has a way of changing me. It has a way of altering the way I interact with people. It's more important than the festivities that are going on outside. It, it's more important than anything else that's happening because I, I have to feed this hunger. Hunger alters activity. We're going to get into this on Wednesday. It just happens to be where we are in Bible study. But go with me to Genesis chapter 47. Genesis 47. And I'll start reading in a moment at uh, verse 13. A little bit of a backdrop here is Pharaoh has had a dream. And... Joseph has been given the interpretation of that dream, and that interpretation was there's going to be seven years of plenty, and there's going to be followed by seven years of famine. And he gave Joseph the wisdom to store up grain and store up corn and food during the seven years of plenty so that there would be food in Egypt when the seven years of famine came along. When we're reading here, the famine is, is already sore in the land. It's been in the land for some time. And where does everyone go to get food? They come to Joseph to get food. Starting at verse 13, it says, And there was no bread in all the land, for the famine was very sore, so that the land of Egypt and all the land of Canaan fainted by reason of the famine. They truly were famished. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan. For the corn which they brought, bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when money failed, the land of Egypt, in the land of Egypt, and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came unto Joseph and said, Give us bread, for why should we die in thy presence? For the money faileth. And Joseph said, Give your cattle, and I will give you for your cattle. If money fail. And they brought their cattle unto Joseph, and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for horses, and for flocks, and for cattle of the herds, and for asses. And he fed them with bread for all their cattle for that year. When that year was ended, they came unto him the second year, and said unto him, We will not hide it from my Lord how that our money is spent. My Lord also hath our herds of cattle. There is not aught left in the sight of my Lord, but our bodies and our lands. Wherefore shall we die before thine eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for bread, and we and our land will be servants unto Pharaoh. And give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land be not desolate. 
And Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. For the Egyptians sold every man his field because the famine prevailed over them. So the land became Pharaoh's. And as for the people, he removed them into cities from one end of the borders of Egypt even to the other end thereof. Only the land of the priest bought he not. For the priest had a portion assigned them of Pharaoh and did eat their portion which Pharaoh gave them. Wherefore they sold not their lands. Then Joseph said unto the people, Behold, I have bought you this day and your land for Pharaoh. Lo, here is your seed for you, and you shall sow the land. Hunger has the ability to consume every part of my life and become the most important thing that I, I seek after. We see here that hunger drove these people to give all of their money. They, they spent everything they had. That's a bad place to be. We, we've got a lot of worry and stress, and we're all kind of concerned about the economy. Their economy was truly in the tank. They, they had bought all the food they could buy because hunger was more valuable than money. The satisfaction of that hunger, I should say more accurately, was more valuable than money. This is why we're uh, going to the grocery store, and we're looking at the price of a carton of eggs, and we shake our heads. And then we put them in the cart and we buy them anyways. This is why people go to the fair or, or different carnivals around and there's celebration happening. And they go and they don't take uh, food with them because these places are smart and most of them won't allow you. And you get in there and you start walking around and expending all of your energy and you get hungry. And then you go to one of those little carts and, and there it's like $17 for a corn dog. And they sell them all day long. Why? Because people say, you know what, I, I'm hungry. Take, take my money. I'm hungry. Hunger drives us. I don't think that's wise, but, but people do it. Hunger was more important than their possessions, their cattle, and their herds, and their lands. They come before Joseph and they say, we, we don't have any money left. We, we need food. And Joseph says, well, I, I tell you what, I'll make a, make a deal with you. Bring me all your cattle. Bring me all your, your sheep and your goats and your donkeys and your horses. and just, just bring me everything you have and I'll give you bread. Now that, that doesn't sound like a very good deal. But when you're hungry, that sounds like an excellent deal. Sure. Sure. Here, take it. This is why we, we find Esau. We look at Esau's decisions and he made foolish decisions. But he comes in from the field and he's what? He's... He's hungry. And he says to his brother, I'm going to die. You know, like we do after a couple hours. Hey, I gotta, I'm going to die. Give me, some, give me some beans. Jacob said, I'll give you some beans. How about your birthright? How about that great blood, that, that valuable possession that you have? Can you trade me that and I'll give you these beans? Oh, sure, that's a, that's a good deal. Why? Because he was hungry. And hunger, the satisfaction of that hunger became more important than possessions. Both present and future we see examples in Scripture. Hunger became more important than self. This is hard. It became more important. They said, buy us and our lands. That's a hard sale. 
Understand what they're saying. We will be your servants for bread. We'll serve you for bread because we're, we're hungry. And so we'll, we'll do whatever you say. And, and it says here that Joseph began to move people around and take them out of their homes and off of their lands and, and move them to this city and to that city. And they were okay with it because hunger was being satisfied. It was enough provision to satisfy their hunger was enough for them to offer all of their time as servants. Provision for hunger was enough for them to, to give up their status as, as free, independent individuals. True hunger has to be satisfied and cannot be controlled any other way. It's, it's just within us. We're created to consume. And so when we talk about this concept of hunger being existed, I know I'm probably beating a dead horse here going over it and over it, but I want us to understand how powerful hunger is. When we talk about an element that's present for the need of outpouring, for revival, hunger has to be there. It can't be a passing craving because that's not enough to drive us to make these kind of commitments and sacrifices. Revival cravings will keep us coming to church on Sunday. But hunger for revival will drive us to do outreach on Saturday. Revival cravings will prompt us to, to tithe, but hunger will, for revival will drive us to give sacrificially. Revival craving, cravings will cause us to pray in the altars. Hunger for revival will drive us to pray at home, before service, in the altars, in the car, it's more than just, oh man, it sure would be nice. No, it's I, I have to have it. I, I have to see it come to pass. More than anything else, it's, it's really what matters. Revival cravings will cause us to search the Bible for snack-style scriptures. But hunger for revival will drive us to consume the Word in its entirety. Revival cravings will cause us to, to maybe attempt Bible reading programs, but but hunger for revival will cause us to teach Bible studies. Revival cravings, cravings might cause us to, to fast a meal, but hunger for revival will cause us to develop a fasting plan and push the plate away on a regular basis. Revival cravings will cause us to look for some, some fulfillment in revival, but hunger for revival will not allow us to be filled with anything but revival. See, cravings are just like, wow, that was, that was so satisfying. Yay. Hunger says I've got to have it. I've got to consume it. I've got to take it in. That's why the scripture says, blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Filled, consumed, full of. We can't be full of this hunger for revival and full of the ways of the world at the same time. We wonder sometimes why that, that passion, that drive, isn't as strong as what I'm describing. And it's not because we're bad people or, or we're involved in horrible things. Our life is just so full of the world. 
It's full of the nine to five. It's full of the, the evening activities. It's full of our own pursuits and our own hobbies and our own passions. And, and, and none of them are bad, but we're full. And so I, I can't be hungry and full at the same time. It's impossible. So the best thing we can do to begin to develop a hunger for revival and make sure that this element is present is to begin to, to see what do I need to purge from my life. Now, I'm not telling you to go and quit your nine to five. Pastors that purge everything from our life. I'll quit my job. Well, then you might really, really be hungry. We might be preaching another message here in a couple weeks because you, you need that. But it doesn't have to consume me. It doesn't have to be where my mind's at and, and, and always thinking about it and always stressing about how the job's going to work out and, and how this is going to work out. I can't allow that to fulfill me. It's amazing how within our culture, our identities are wrapped up in, in what we do. It becomes who we are. Oh, that's so-and-so. They're a this. It's almost associated with our name immediately. Because we're, we're fulfilled by the task that we complete. We're fulfilled by the accomplishments that we achieve. And so we take those in. But no, that, that's not what defines me. That's not what defines me. I want people to say, that's, that's Jason Brooks. He, he's a, a crazy person that's always talking about revival. He's always trying to get a Bible study. Watch out for that guy. If I've got to have one reputation or the other, let it be that one. Everybody, somebody's always going to think you're crazy. Let them think you're crazy for the right reasons. Be passionate about the right things. Be concerned about the right things. Hunger has to exist in order for us to have revival. I'm going to close with one final scripture and some comments on that. John chapter 4, verses 30 and 35. 30 through 35. says, then they went out of the city and came unto him. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Say ye not, There are yet four months, and then cometh harvest? Behold, I say unto you, Lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. The disciples are requesting and even it says they prayed him they're they're imploring him Jesus you have to eat something you've got to you, you need to consume this and Jesus responds to him and says oh guys I, I've got I've got substance that you don't know anything about and they start talking did you take you must have took him no I didn't take him anything did you take no, I didn't take him anything to eat and Jesus, in the way that he does, steps into their, their conversation and, and brings clarity. And he says, I'm not talking about food that I'm going to put in my mouth. He said, I, I am gleaning satisfaction and fulfillment, not from, from feeding my carnal body. He said, I, 
I find that satisfaction and fulfillment by doing the work of God. By seeing lives changed, by interacting with people and, and, and ministering about my kingdom. That's, that's where my substance is coming from. And then he ties this to the concept of revival. He doesn't go on talking about his own ministry. He flips the script on them and he begins to talk about their ministry. And he says, guys, I don't want you to miss the point here. He said, stop, stop saying that revival is going to come one day. But lift up your eyes and look on the fields because they're already white and ready for harvest. This, this idea of, of being fulfilled, the hunger being satisfied by doing the work of God. And he immediately ties that back to revival. What we would use the term revival to describe. People being touched and lives being changed and new birth happening and, and people coming back to a point of prayer and a new commitment to the word of God. All those things that we're seeking after. And, and we fall into the same trap that the disciples did because we're always looking at revival like it's, it's almost here. I feel like the, the greyhound sometimes with the little stuffed animal on the stick. And it's just always and we're just running and running and running and running. And, run, and one day we're going to reach and, and you're never going to reach that thing. It's designed. It might as well be on a stick tied to our backs and then revival's just here, you know, and we just kind of doodle through life thinking one day we're going to catch up with revival. And Jesus says, stop. That's right. Stop doing that. Look, just, just stop for a minute and lift up your head. So, oh, I got my nose on the grass. I'm just working hard. I'm just, no, stop. Lift up your eyes and look around. Revival, it's not a futuristic thing. It's available right now. But it's not, it's not found being full of anything else. It's tied to this, this point here in Scripture that, that my meat is to do the will of Him that sent me and to finish His work. It drives me. It's more important than anything else. And I get it. We live, we live busy, busy, busy lives. We've always got something going on. But if we've always got something else going on and we're never pursuing revival... I mean, actually, action, actionally pursuing revival, doing something to see it facilitated, some kind of outreach, some kind of Bible study. Then we're lying to ourselves and saying, oh, man, I'm hungry for revival. No, I, I told you I was convicted by the questions of the Lord. I hope you are, too. But maybe maybe to this point, I just crave revival. Maybe I would just really like to see it happen. But I'm not really pursuing it. Is that true? I don't know. We've got some evaluation to do. But it's an element. It's an element that has to be examined. The disciples were pleading for him to eat. But his fulfillment was found in revival. The 120 had to do. All they had to do was exit the meeting. And there was feast and festivities. Yet hunger Calls them to stay inside. There's a buffet of things for you and I to be filled with just outside the doors. We can leave here and, and we live in a land where things are plenteous. Entertainment and activity and, and opportunity. We can pursue jobs. We can pursue hobbies. We can pursue family. We can do all of these things and we can never, we could live our life without ever really experiencing a time where we didn't have something to satisfy us. OK, 
Okay, and so, so just like these people in Scripture, there's, there's a lot of things we can chase after. But what are we hungry for? What do we really want to see? I mean, we read back about Azusa Street, and we read back about some of the, the early American revivals and the Welsh revivals, and oh, man. Do you know what? There was a lot of hunger that existed in those times where people and groups of people said, I don't care about anything else. If, if nothing else comes to pass, I have to have revival. Give me, give me souls. Give me children lest I die. And so there, there's this, this driving hunger that we're uncomfortable with because it is uncomfortable. I don't know about you. I don't like the feeling of being hungry. But it, it does demand satisfaction. So in terms of revival, I want to develop. I want to develop hunger. That drives me and changes the way I interact with people and changes my pursuits and changes my behaviors and my, my actions and my routines because hunger is a necessary element of outpouring. You can stand. We're going to take some time to pray today and play some music. And uh, I just posed that same question to you today are you, are you hungry for revival or are you craving revival? I would encourage you to search yourself as you pray and, and seek God to help you. To really define what those two things mean and evaluate where you're at. I don't really think any of us are on one end of the spectrum or the other. As I've thought about it throughout the week, I can identify areas in my life where, where yeah, I'm, I'm exhibiting hunger and I'm really giving it my best. And I can find other areas in my life where maybe I'm a little further on, on this side of the scale. And God's working with me. I believe he wants to work with all of us and develop that kind of true hunger for revival and for his will to be done. Those are sacrificial prayers. Not my will, but your will be done. That's, that's a hungry prayer. So let's seek God today. Allow it to become personal and talk to him for a little while. Hey folks, Pastor Jason here again. I pray the message you just heard inspires you to draw closer to God. We also believe at United Church that it's very important to be connected to a local assembly. If you're in the Fergus Falls or surrounding area in Minnesota, we would love to have you join us for a Sunday service. If you're not and you're looking for a local church where you live, we'd love to help with that as well. Take the time to stop by our website, fergusunited.org. Send us a message letting us know where you live, and we would gladly connect you with a great local assembly. God bless. Until next time.